0: Hey everyone, Paul here. Now that we had a small technical issue and with no time to re-record this podcast episode due to our heavy troubles, I had to use a backup voice track. So please forgive us for the slightly less good quality of sound, but I'm sure you will still enjoy it. Here we go, flight 58 to Bangkok,
1: hi Alex. Bangkok at this time of year must be hot and sticky. (laughs) Yeah, well
0: I was there. It's hot and sticky, a bit rainy and a lot of traffic actually. So (laughs) I was there very recently. So we're continuing our tour of Asia in the latest episodes and the next one will still be in Asia because I'm basically spending my entire summer in Asia. Uh, Yeah, you seem
1: to be bouncing around all over the place.
0: Yeah, I think I've done almost 50,000 miles in the month of July
1: and that's just being back and forth. forth. I should have just stayed in Asia, Actually, not come back to London. Yeah, <laughs> just exactly. I was just gonna say that you should need to rent a little apartment and just stay, stay there. <laughs> Fifty thousand miles in one month—that's crazy.
0: Well, actually, you know, remember for those of you who listened to us since the beginning of this year, I said that I wanted to travel slightly less. So I'm still traveling less compared to last year, for instance. But obviously, when you have a month like that, I'm suddenly catching up very, very quickly. Yeah. So, but you are still in California. It's earlier than the last episode we recorded. What time is it now? It is twenty-three minutes past seven. Wow, please. in the morning, I hasten to <laughs> yeah, Well, because it's not in of the night for me, and for once, actually, because we had winter in London for the past three weeks uh, two and a half actually, I was here. Well, you probably don't have that, right?
1: No, it's been beautiful. We had a very warm summer, and I've been soaking up every ray that I can <laughs> before oh, yeah. I come back oh, yeah. to <laughs> winter, as you said. So, yeah, no, it's, it's been great
0: out here. Flash flooding yesterday in the UK, oh. um, it was raining for the whole day. I felt like I was actually in Asia, Southeast Asia, only the that, you know, the rain is cold and not hot like in Southeast Asia. Uh, That's why I'm actually leaving next week again to Singapore and Manila just to have, uh, you know, the same rain, but actually the hot one. So let's start our little tour of the world with the US since you are there. I know you just flew JetBlue. Uh, I want to hear about that. But before you're talking about JetBlue itself and the experience inside, I want to hear about what happened to your Bike.
1: My poor bike. Yeah. So I, I <laughs> the reason I flew to On JetBlue is I flew out to Boston for the Pan Mass Challenge, which is a, a bike ride that's been going on for 38 years and has raised $560 million for cancer research for the Dana Farber wow. Institute. Wow. My my youngest brother has done it for he did it last year. His father-in-law, this was his 18th in a row. Wow. And the one that we did is 90 miles per on one day and there's a two day one, which is I think about 195 miles. And I've been training on a bike in the UK and I wanted to bring my bike with me. So I got this TSA approved case yeah, it looks uh, nice. And i I'll give you a picture. It looks yeah, nice. it's very clever. The the wheels come off and it sits on a little metal bracket. Is it, um, is it a, 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 a shell? As in, is it like or is it like soft? It's soft, but it's quite clever because when you take the wheels off, you slot the wheels in the side panels and they provide protection for the frame. Oh. And the, the, the frame that it sits on inside is is metal and, and pretty impressive. I, I liked it and it was incredibly well reviewed. And British Airways brought it out and it was fine. There was a little bit of just, you know, things that needed to be realigned and tweaked and all of that. But then when I, <laughs> I got it ready to take to, to Boston and and I hasten to add, this has nothing to do with JetBlue. I was sitting on the plane. I checked my bags in and all of that, sitting on the plane, looking out the window. Oh, look, there's my bike. They're loading it onto the plane right now. <laughs> as it went crashing to the ground from the from the luggage cart as the guy tried to maneuver it. And I was like, "Oh, that looked really, really hard." And when I got to <laughs> the Boston, one of the the pegs where the gear shifter and the brake attached, it had shifted. It was not bent; it it just swiveled on its position, but. When I bent it back, it was really hard to do, which showed how just how much force must have been on it. So but oh, wow. that uh that was fine though, it didn't really affect me during the ride. But on the way back, <laughs> this <laughs> was the bit that I still that's still very funny to me. Now it's funny. At the time it was everything except funny. I got off the plane and went to San Francisco baggage claim and I asked the baggage supervisor who was there right by the carousel, will my bike come on the carousel? like it did in Boston, or will it come through to a special area for oversized baggage, as it so often does in San Francisco? And he said, I don't know. And that was my first big red flag going, if the baggage supervisor doesn't know where oversized baggage goes, then I'm worried. So he said, "Eh, i tell you what, why don't you wait for all the bags to come off the flight? And if it's not there, I'll make some calls. That was the second red bell. Two and a half hours later. Oh my God no one knows where my bike is no one can find it i know it's on the plane i know it's very close to me because i have one of those tile trackers oh Nice in the saddlebag of my bike for this exact reason. So they're like, Oh, we don't even know where it is. I'm like, It's like within a hundred feet of us, guys. This it's it's got to be somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I was like, It's either below us or above us. Above us was departures, below us was baggage and customs. It wasn't until the JetBlue station manager stepped in that something was done, and he was fantastic. Within five minutes, he's like, I bet I know where it is. I bet it went up the wrong baggage belt and is now in the restricted area in customs. We as JetBlue don't have any international flights out of San Francisco, so I don't have access. But let me make a call because I'm 99% sure that's where it is. Sure enough, five minutes later, he comes around the corner with my bike. And that's exactly what had happened. It had gone up uh, the wrong belt into the restricted customs area but it was a little frustrating that it took the most senior person. And frankly, you know, Jeff blew up quite a few flights out of San Francisco. I'm sure he had more, you know, bigger problems to deal with than my lost bike. But before I even said anything, I never complained. I never raised my voice. I was never angry. Of course, I was probably visibly frustrated. He's like, I've talked to my colleague here. We're going to give you $280 of JetBlue credit for your time. And then he said, I know that doesn't go anywhere near compensating you for your time, but it's just a gesture of our goodwill because we know that you're a frequent traveler with us. And I was impressed because that's not a small amount of money and... The way that he framed it and positioned it, I thought was was very, very nice. It Again, it wasn't JetBlue's fault. It was their ground handling company at San Francisco. They have a third-party ground handler. Uh, would I transport my bike again? Well, I have to to get it home, so yeah. But um, unless you have a hard case and that, those are A, more expensive, and B, a lot more time-consuming to pack your bike up, it's going to get a little bit bashed around just by virtue of the fact that it's got to go through the baggage system. So, yeah, that, I think my bike had more of an adventure than I did on this little sojourn to New England. <laughs> Before we go to the actual product inside,
0: because I've never flown JetBlue, so I'm very curious. Yeah, well, I, I understand your feeling. I've never flown a bike. I've flown animals. I've flown cats. It was in yeah. Europe. And it's super stressful, especially when I saw one of my three cats. I recognized the cage I had uh, bought on the tarmac sitting there for almost two hours and I was like, the poor cat doesn't have your earplugs and must be listening to all yeah. these sounds. And, and then you're like, oh, will they turn out the heat you know, in this front part of the cargo hold? And I, I was going to the pilot like 25 times. Anyway, I, I understand how stressful it can be. And that leads me to my second remark. Is it not strange that uh, some airports have everything like that automated and means that here somebody must have put your bike in a wrong
1: belt? Yeah, especially with oversized baggage. There's no way that it's just going to get put on with... Um with all the other baggage and I think actually that was the problem is that because JetBlue comes into the international terminal at San Francisco even for domestic flights yeah the probability of an of a mistake like that happening is very very high so when he said his theory that it had what gone into the customs area I I was I thought of course um, that is the most logical explanation because The customs area was literally on the other side of the wall from us, which is why my tile app was being picked up. They had to call in a favor, not even call it a favor, just call a contact within the customs team to let them through to collect it. And then they had to inspect it because it had gone into the restricted area. But yeah, I think, you know, animals, one would hope, go through a different process altogether than, I mean, a bike is just a bike is just a bike. You know, if it gets damaged, just travel insurance will take care of it and you can replace it. An animal... Yeah, well, it's, it's a living, breathing crazy. thing. And you would hope that they have separate protocols. But yeah, it was an, int- an eye-opening. I kind of wish I'd strapped a camera to it. <laughs> you know, when I to see what actually happens. Yeah. So tell
0: us, how was uh, the flight? So did you fly, what? Did you fly an economy? Did you fly business? What did you fly?
1: I flew Mint, which is their transcontinental uh-huh. business class product on an A321. And it was superb. Oh, my Absolutely God. Tell us, tell us. Tell us. Superb. So it was a suite. So I had my own space with a door. What? And wow. this was on an American carrier, transcontinental, on an A321. I had a six foot eight lie flat bed, big old screen. Uh, and like I said, a, a door that closed to my own area. Wow. Four, at least three power outlets, separate power outlets. And enough USBs to power every device I've ever owned. Uh, live TV and and free and high speed Wi Fi, both of which are are available throughout the airplane.
0: And actually, so the, actually high speed.
1: Yeah. Perfectly fine. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, And free Wi-Fi and and free live TV are available throughout the airplane. So even if you're economy, you get that as well. The food was outstanding. They partnered with a, a few New York culinary institutions, including some of the Momofuku brands. So because it was a night flight, they gave you this sort of three course on a single tray. Um, And it was delicious, absolutely delicious. And then when you land, they give you a a bag to take with you with a a hot bagel, hot everything bagel, some juice, some coffee, really high quality stuff. That's really cool. Uh, Is it a five or six hours flight? It was 5.05 on the way there, 6.05 on the way back. Yeah, so just
0: slightly not enough to actually have a good night of sleep. And also, I guess this is why they give you this handout at the end to leave
1: you sleep until the very tail end of the flight. Exactly. And they have this little button that sits at the top of your seat where you press it. And if it's illuminated, they'll wake you for meal service. If it's not, they'll leave you be. That's so smart. It is smart. I'm amazed that no other airlines do this, especially when you have a, you know, a reasonably compartmentalized business class seat, as pretty much all of them are. Um, is it like a one-two-one configuration? Then? Correct. Okay. Wow. Yeah. One-two-one. One. So you. So not not all the seats are this sort of suite or throne. Oh. But I. So I had the throne, the suite on the way over there. Uh, this like I all the seats have this very very effective massage function as well. I got a good amount of sleep. Um, the service was outstanding. I was addressed by my name the entire flight. Everything it was just so good. The amenity kit, wow. the pillows, the, the the duvet. It was better than most of the Intercontinental business classes I've flown in in recent years. On the way back, I was in a kind of a parallel, you know, two seats next to each other, and it was just as good. You felt just as private. Um, it was a day flight, so I had a lot more time to play around with all of the the features it was spectacular just a wow. truly world class business class product on an uh, american domestic flight i would i would pick them every single time and twice on sundays just so good
0: well, then I hope that they actually start this plan of going from New York to London, right? Which is one of the rumored yeah. uh, plans they've been having for quite a while, because I, this is not something you see every day. Oh, wow, I'm so jealous now.
1: <laughs> no, no, and they're good anyway, JetBlue, even on, in even an economy, just having the live TV, having the big screen, having the free internet just, just makes it go a, a lot faster. I was just so impressed by them on all fronts. Every component of the service was truly world-class. Who are they affiliated with for freaking Frile Miles? Do you know? Emirates. Okay, yeah, well, I've seen that on Emirates, true, actually. Emirates, South African, oh, Cape Cape Air, because that's sort of the regional carrier in the northeast of the US. Uh, those are the ones that they promote at the moment, but certainly I know they've got a strong tie-up with, with Emirates and South African Airways. Okay, so it means
0: I might be able to use my Emirates miles some skywards uh, if uh, next time I go to the US. So I will try that. I need to try that. <laughs> just for the yeah. sake of I mean, it was, it.
1: <laughs> it was good value too considering the length of the flight and and it just makes the business class pr- and i was thinking about this as i flew i'm like man this really puts uh you know club europe and all the other regional carriers to shame <laughs> but 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 only available on a321s and even then on the transcon so minimum of five hours we well, make sense actually right it does make sense you know because they have a, a big a320 and E one hundred and seventy and one hundred and ninety fleet that they use for you know Oakland to Long Beach, and you're not going to need that product on that absolutely. And you can't do, I don't think, that level of of fleet segregation, if you will, in Europe because you need an A three hundred and twenty to do London to Leeds, and then my father just did uh, Paris to Amman, Jordan, which is you know pushing six hours in an A three hundred and twenty as well. So I don't think it's fair for me to compare club europe and what i think it would be fair to do is something like the other american domestic carriers and anything that's running transatlantic is that's a fair comparison the flights are pretty much the same length
0: yeah i think uh, delta is coming up with these delta 1 which also will have feature yeah. a door uh so we'll probably you know competition is good we always say that so probably we'll see that in for transcon i mean you guys will see that for transcon i really do transcon myself i usually limit myself to the East Coast to the US, but uh, yeah, it's good. I mean, uh, I, I and again, I repeat what I just said, I really hope that they come doing these flights from New York to London one day, because that would be a great
1: excuse to fly them. I would strongly recommend it. And I would be interested to hear other people's experiences if, if you've flown JetBlue, but, but particularly Mint, if you had a similar experience. And for those of you who live in the U.S. and we have status on one of the big uh, three
0: airlines in the U.S., know that uh, JetBlue is currently running uh, a status matching promotion. So if you have high status on any of the big ones, and I think also like maybe on smaller ones, you they will match your status. It's uh, I did s- yeah, it's summer. I think the, the promotion is called Summer Mosaic. I don't have it in front of me. If you just go on, on, on jetblue.com, the website, you'll be able to find that. So that's a good excuse to be directly on high status and, well, try. Uh, staying in the US, you know, every time we talk about United, we have to see something good and something bad. <laughs> well, they just they just apo- apologized uh, because since I was talking about pets earlier, they just apologized for killing a dog, actually. So, I mean, again, oh, no. <laughs> uh, I. I you never know. Again, like you said you, yourself, you know, sometimes it's the ground handlers. Obviously, because you're ticketed on United or whoever, uh, they are responsible of the entire supply chain. If I may use that term. But that happens. And that fix uh, That would freak me out. Uh, but yeah. uh, I want to say something good about United is that uh, since they're retiring all their seven four seven, the last one will be retired at the end of the year, I think December. They've done something cool. If you live in the US, you know seven four sevens were usually uh, used for uh, international flights, so meaning that a lot of Americans that might have not uh, flown uh, internationally might have not, might have never actually flown it. So on July twenty uh, eighth they flew i think it was from chicago to san francisco actually where, near where you are they flew one of their 747 400s to allow you know regular people in the us to try it for the one last time and that
1: it's pretty cool nice send off that is cool and uh, anybody, anybody who uh, gives the uh, 747 the platform it deserves is okay by me Yeah, you know, i'm glad that they do that <laughs> and you know i think it really reinforces the impact that the 747 has had on the traveling public's imagination, yeah, that uh, it's been given this reverence and an and appropriate reverence as as it's being wound down as a as a mainline uh, mainline jet for so many so many airlines. It is sad, but it's also I think appropriate that so many people are paying respects in this way. I, it's it's this isn't the first story that we um I mean, Cathay did it, and a lot of other airlines that yeah, have yeah. that have moved on from the seven forty seven have paid their respects, and I like that. I think it's that's, that's a good thing. And I like this one, especially because they
0: allowed regular people to fly it. It was just not a send-off for, you know, PR yeah. reasons and, and and staff, which they probably that's do a great by point. The, at the end of the year. They probably do that on their last ever flight. <laughs> but this one is, was open for the greater public to to use without a passport, and I think it's it, it's a good idea. And uh, to make a comparison, no one is making any send-offs
1: for the A340. <laughs> no, that's true. A lot of people, especially the 343 it's kind of... It's, yeah, you're right, actually. That's a really good point. Th- no, one, the, the, no, th- no one wants this plane anymore, right? No. No, I mean, no. But, I mean, it's, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, I mean, it's because, never been no, iconic. No. Uh, as a note, let's remember, uh, because, you know, sometimes, obviously, uh, when uh, we talk to people based in the U.S., they're very proud about Boeing, but not a single U.S. carrier has bought the 747-8. So, well, you know... Yeah. Well, I mean, I get it economically, but it's still sad that they haven't. Uh, a bad news about United because we have to go there because we cannot just say something good. I'm sorry, guys at United. This, I mean, there's many stories coming out of the USA. We don't cover them all because it would be like a, a, we could do an episode a day about something bad happening in an airport in an airplane. But that one, you know, we've we've been talking about you know these new fares. All the airlines are introducing like basic economy and ultra basic yeah. economy. So basically, you you segmenting every seat in the plane with different pricing and that is leading to some like what just happened there was this uh i think it was a mother and a kid and the seat next to them in the economy was free so there was no one sitting there but the flight attendant prevented the mother from putting her kid on it saying "No, no 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 somebody would
1: have paid a good amount of money for that it's a premium seat you're not allowed to stretch what is this world coming to? That's insane. That's insane on so many levels. One, just generally, but second, I don't know if it's policy or if this person was on a power trip, but there's no way that frontline staff, especially in flight crew, should be having to do revenue management yeah. for Are the you- airline or enforcing revenue management policies. That's just when when it's wheels up, it's wheels up. Who you know, you can't move between cabins, and that's fine. But to suggest that someone cannot stretch into the seat next to them is just bizarre. And I'm sure that anybody within that airline's revenue management team would also agree with that. Absolutely. And I remember fondly when I was flying in the U.S. as a kid, having,
0: uh, you know, these three seats, a full row for me as a kid, and it was nobody ever told me not to, you know, lie down on the transcon. And I don't, I really honestly don't understand it. It's, uh,
1: yeah, it's, I mean, it's, if, if someone had said to my kid, you know, uh, or me saying your kid can't uh, someone would have paid a lot of money for that seat and I said well when they show up I'm happy to give them the seat but until then go away Well your kids are destroying BA seats that's different Yeah <laughs> my <laughs> youngest my youngest son is uh his, his superpower is his superpowers other than identifying Cold War British jets as projectile vomiting. So um, (laughs) it's like, if you want to take him, you take him. But uh, I suggest not getting anywhere near him. (laughs) Uh, So still in the U.S., a lot
0: of confusion. Uh, One thing is for sure, the laptop ban is lifted. The U.S. has confirmed it. So none of the airports in the Middle East, especially in Africa, have this restriction anymore. It's still the case, though, in the UK. You still have to uh, bag, especially, for instance, uh, Istanbul or Beirut. You still have to put your laptop in the checking luggage. And there was a bigger confusion because TAP, uh, the Portuguese airline, a few weeks ago came out with, I think it was a Facebook update, telling like, oh, now laptops will not be authorized in checked-in baggage to the US. And people are like, what the hell? So it's the exact reverse of what we had. So now you don't have to put anything then uh, somebody at uh, in the U.S. said, no, 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 this is not true, but, and that's where the confusion comes from, but we're not telling you the new rules. So basically, now, the only thing we know is that the U.S. is implementing new vetting procedures. They're not telling the rules, probably because they don't want, you know, to give hints to terrorists, but it leads to a lot of freaking confusion, which I've, ex- I've experienced lately in, in, actually, in airports. You see that... The security measures have increased, but
1: you're not sure which are actually valuable or not. Have you have you seen anything in the US yourself or no? I mean I, I I have TSA Pre, which I have to say is just a wonderful thing. I was through security on both in San Francisco and in Boston, which are busy airports in no time. It was a breeze. It's so easy. But I do feel really bad for the airports who constantly have to amend their protocols and and educate the staff about what's oh, okay today and might not be okay tomorrow. I haven't seen it directly, but the airports have my sympathy because it must be impossible to keep up with these rates of change, especially at airports like, like JFK and, and Atlanta and uh, O'Hare, these huge airports where you've got thousands of security staff that need to be briefed on the situation, which seems to change every day. The protocols were not uh, disclosed to the
0: public, as I just said, but what we know is that it's a mix of new measures of sniffing dogs, explosive trace detection, uh, swapping, of course, of luggage for chemical traces, Physical inspection of electronics, this means that it will access electronics. And this is why TAP probably wrote that. They said, okay, if they want to see all the electronics, they have to be readily available. where in the check luggage, that would mean that whoever, for every airport in the world that flies to the U.S., they would open the checking luggage. So this is very much unclear. It's clearly, again, against terrorism, Al-Qaeda, and ISIS, and et cetera. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy, and like you said, for airports and airlines, because airlines have to say something to their passengers and... I, I wouldn't be very happy if I see that my luggage has be tempered with uh, when, I mean, I never, almost never check in. But first of all, I would never put a laptop in, but even, you know, I would not feel completely yeah. comfortable.
1: Well, I mean, so often, I, I would say 90% of the time I travel from the U.S., I will be unpacking my checked bags at home and there'll be a little note yep. from the TSA or whoever's uh, their rep is saying, we've searched this. And then signed by the person that searched it, which in terms of accountability, I actually quite appreciate because I certainly haven't had that out of any other airport uh, yeah, except agree. San Francisco. So they are more often than not hand inspected or, or tampered with. But you're right. At the same time, it's a strange situation. And again, we've mentioned this in, so, in episodes in the past that if they're doing it because they're acting on credible intelligence, then they're doing what they need to do. But at this point, it's how it's been implemented, and how that implementation has been so fluid, it's hard to know what they're doing.
0: Yeah. The whole thing we know is that uh, it's increasing in the fall. That's a deadline. And that I think Reuters reported that they will also require more uh, passenger data or face sanctions. So any airport authorities that do not provide more data about passengers uh, that are flying to the US might face sanctions, obviously the passengers might not be allowed to fly. So we'll see. Where will we continue to monitor this? Uh, it's I get it. We get it. We never actually th- said that these measures were were not good, as in we understand the safety concerns. It's just that the uncertainty is not easy to deal with as passengers. What can you actually bring on board? Where do you have to put it? Will I be able to keep my laptop or camera with me or not? It's that, These
1: are yeah. the kind of questions that are not easy to answer people who rock up to the airport and are denied something that they thought they could do because someone hadn't updated the website to reflect the latest and greatest policy change. I think you're going to have quite a few situations where people are disappointed or frustrated or thought, oh, brilliant, I've got 12 hours to work on the plane. And then they get to the gate or to check in and say, give me your laptop.
0: Yeah, (laughs) added to the confusion, there was another article i uh, that it was from the ACLU that said that the TSA testing new requirements asking passengers to remove books and papers like what? even more stuff yeah, yeah, yeah so then that got out the TSA denied it and said no 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 we're not but the next day the secretary of the department of homeland security said well we might actually ask passengers to put papers in a different bin so again it's uncertain and again this is the confusion we don't know whether or not we will have to do it obviously at you know when you're lining up you will know it clearly also raises some privacy concerns do you want actually everyone to read what you the papers i don't know it could be i mean is anybody using paper anymore i don't know but i mean i this is interesting
1: that they were trying even that i don't know what you can hide in paper or books it's again i'd love to know what information they're acting on it's just crazy at the moment but again on the implementation side i experienced i did not experience anything different in heathrow or in boston or san francisco or at LAX when I flew down there, although that was an inbound flight, uh, or Oakland where I flew out of uh, to get down to LAX. So I haven't felt any manifest changes in... Hour. Or maybe I'm just so numb to it that I just <laughs> didn't even notice in the first place. It's
0: just, that's possible, but good for the TSA. You know, they they are criticized a lot for you know the extreme pat downs they're making. And they've just uh, launched a competition and uh, tech competition. They I think the the prize money is one point five million dollars. Asking uh, Holy people like you. I mean, we're not that much of geeks. I mean, we're I used to code, but it's a long time ago to come up with better algorithms for the scanning machines to say, we want to reduce the rate of false positives. So we want to uh, making sure that when we are actually patting down someone is that the machine truly detected something odd and not having these a lot of false positives. So good for the TSA to actually
1: do that. I like that that idea. Yeah, at least they're being proactive because it's just... It's a a necessary evil, the whole thing. And if there's any way you can make it slightly less dehumanizing, then I'm all for that. Yeah. And I think the first prize uh, is uh, half a million dollars. So guys,
0: if you think you have coding skills, just go on the website. By the way, I've promised that I will get the show notes back in August. We're still in August. I still haven't done it because I've been flying all over the place, <laughs> but I will because we, I've had like feedback of people saying, oh, this is so cool. I mean, I want to know more. And then they don't find anything on the website. So I promise you guys, by the end of the month, all the show notes for all the past episodes, including this one and probably the next one will be on. Uh, since we were, you just mentioned that, you flew Southwest. Uh, so did you get that 737th,
1: 737 or not? <laughs> no, unfortunately I didn't although my plane was, again, in the, in the last few experiences i've had with southwest nearly brand new certainly less than a year old i love those guys anything shorter than two hours and i'm all over southwest they just are fantastic everything is straightforward the in-flight service is almost universally warm and genuinely friendly they have a a a free streaming service of live tv and then you can pay like five bucks for internet or something like that but i I love those guys i think they're great that we were on time it's easy the boarding process takes a little bit of getting used to but i think once you've mastered it it's it's fine i haven't flown southwest in forever so uh, but uh did you not say that it's everything that EasyJet should be yes absolutely but i don't know if that's a if that's an american customer service cultural thing or if that's a corporate culture thing perhaps it's a mixture mixture of both but I just think they have a consistent application of their brand promise that I've rarely experienced in any industry, let alone airlines. And I'm sure that people have had bad experiences with Southwest. It's an impossible not to when you're dealing with that many airplanes and that many flights, but... I really like those guys, and for Oakland to LA, I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose anybody else, not in a million years. And you went to LA to record an episode of Attaché. It's not out yet, but the teaser is super,
0: very cool. Uh, if you, yeah, Greg, if, <laughs> if you just go on. The attache, just do, uh, what's the, the name of the website again? Because that redirects to YouTube. So attache travel on YouTube and or
1: attache attaché travel.net. .net, um, and if you can find us on Facebook, we, I think I put the uh, the teaser up there. But yeah, we uh, the highlight <laughs> of that trip by absolutely no question was we chartered a helicopter and yeah. flew ah. under the departing traffic LAX at 100 feet wow. along the beach and then flew over midfield At a thousand feet with triple sevens landing underneath us. My Uh, God, that's amazing. So that was cool. So I think, Greg. I didn't know this, but when we, when I booked it, I told him, and I because I wanted to make sure he would be okay with going in a helicopter with the doors off so that we could film. Yep, and it turns out that Greg is a total helicopter fan. Oh guy. wow! Just freaking <laughs> loves him. So he, I think I think the episode will be very uh, helicopter footage heavy. Even the <laughs> teaser was a uh, was a Terminator two. Uh, pastiche so yeah i think it'll be fun but yeah robinson uh r44 out of uh, van nuys airport with the guys from light flight i want to give them a shout out because they were they were really cool and i think we were different to the usual customers they get in that we were aviation and film dorks so we like flew right alongside the hollywood sign and all over it was fantastic. If you're in LA, look those guys up. It's surprisingly reasonable. I will definitely do it.
0: I'm a fan of going over cities with helicopters. I've done it in Tokyo. Of course, obviously, I mean, Narita anyway would be way too far, but you're not supposed to go over uh, Haneda. Nobody would actually uh, not respect these rules. So sadly, I've not done it. The only time I actually had this experience was when I was doing flying lessons in Cyprus. It's a smaller airport. Larnaca will do it one day. Have we done it? I've lost track, actually, of the airports we've done on the
1: show. Again, what we done 58 airport so you know (laughs) we're gonna have to retread some old ground sooner or later
0: and uh yeah and i was also like you know in a single engine and i was seeing all the place because we couldn't land back we had to wait for traffic to clear so we were circling and I was seeing all the, and I have lots of footage as well from back then anyway uh, back on track the other thing something that will make uh, our friend Kendall very happy remember the flyers right had uh, requested that there would be a law submitted to Congress to limit the race to limiting um, legroom and width. Yeah. a judge uh, actually it's so a Congress refused and it, now a judge said well, 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 well you have to look at it uh, he the, the, the words from the judge says, this is the case of the incredible shrinking airline seat. And <laughs> this federal judge uh, ordered the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, to review seat size, legroom, and commercial airline. So we'll follow up. Maybe uh, actually we could invite Kendall one of these days to talk about, about this. Uh, I know that uh, she always tells us that we fly way too much in the front of the cabin to understand uh, what people are suffering. It's not true, but... It's uh, maybe good news. I mean, uh, we had that debate. We're not going to go there today. But maybe, Kendall, uh, if you or one of your colleagues wants to jump on a, a podcast one of these days to talk about regulation for the airline seat, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners will be happy to know that there will be some law to limit uh, that race to sh- the shrinkage of the seat. Yes. Uh, another news in the U.S. Laguardia, which I think we've—I'm pretty sure—we've actually never done that airport in our show. Uh, the Laguardia, which is a dump, a lot of people hate that airport, uh, has greenlighted the investment by Delta to build a four billion dollar terminal. So uh, I think thirty-seven wow. gates. So we—it's going somewhere. Maybe it will uh, finally look like a. A modern airport, and not a third uh, world uh, refugee camp. So, uh, yeah. well, <laughs> and they're starting. They're starting actually uh, this summer the, the the work. So it's not something that's planned for twenty. Uh, uh, 85 like our runway here in ether it's actually something happening so uh, good for them uh yeah, and last one brilliant. since we're still in the u.s for two more news uh one we've talked a little bit about boom that supersonic uh yeah. new plan and one other thing that prevented supersonic flights for a very long time was not the actual technology but was regulation of the supersonic boom the su- yeah the sonic booms Exactly. And there is uh, currently a US amendment that would clear that hurdle to say that because of new types of technologies, because the planes are doing less noise, etc. Cetera, et cetera, this law that was passed, some people would say simply to ban the Concorde in the US, uh, yeah. this law might be actually repealed, which could actually help, whether it's boom or anywhere else, but could actually help this uh, the supersonic flights coming back to the US. So it's good news. It doesn't mean that... Uh, boom we'll fly
1: tomorrow from london to to new york in two hours but at least it's a step ahead that would be fantastic because we've said i think in the early days of this podcast that we wouldn't see supersonic flight available for the masses in our lifetime and i think that they are uh very quickly going to prove us wrong and this is yeah. fantastic because you're right it's so much of it we i think we've we've cleared a lot of the technological hurdles and it's just wor- working on uh, the legislative hurdles but this is great i had I, I did not know that news this is wonderful and uh, guys, I'll put the link in the show notes once the show notes are back, but
0: they also, boom, revealed uh, how the seats will look like. Of course, the mock-ups, of course, it doesn't mean that the end product would be like that, but they look pretty cool. Maybe not as cool as Mint, actually, but they look pretty cool. Uh, so I'll put the link one of these days, I promise. So now the the big one everybody talked about. Where are these guys going? He's on a taxiway. That big story in San Francisco airport next to where you are, Alex. Uh, they're near miss. Yeah. This is insane.
1: It is insane. It made it made front pages all over the world because it it was, as we discovered, five feet away from what would have been one of the biggest aviation disasters in history. Five feet? Uh, That's it, less than two meters, guys, for those five, who don't know imperial units. Five Three feet. feet. What happened was an Air Canada flight, this was about 1230 at night, and an Air Canada flight from Toronto was coming into land at San Francisco and inadvertently lined up not with the runway but with a taxiway, where there were four wide-body airplanes waiting to take off. And I'll explain why we think that happened in a second, because it's not a hundred percent confirmed but it's 99% right. sure that, that there's a reason for this but the incoming pilots queried with air traffic control saying we see lights on the runway are we are we definitely clear to land the air traffic controller and i'm paraphrasing the events here but essentially the air traffic controller said there's no one on 25 on two right you're clear to land on 25 right what they had lined up with was uh, the taxiway to two the eight, right of 25 right 28 i oh, pardon me 28 two right <laughs> sorry that's 28 two eight eight right i'm uh, thinking of the air, the airport that's about 150 meters from my in-laws house um, <laughs> on two eight right. And then the pilots of the other airplanes who were obviously looking directly at this airplane because they were taxiing to two right started on the frequency saying what is this guy doing He's lined up with the taxiway.
0: <laughs> taxiway charlie taxiway c taxiway charlie. yeah
1: taxiway charlie which is on the on the east side of the airport and at that point the controller issues an order to go around and the uh, the pilots had already initiated but by that time when you factor in the height of the tail of a dreamliner there was five feet of vertical separation between the landing airplane and one of the the static departing airplanes That's crazy. Uh, and there was a little bit of horizontal separation but again we're talking in in feet here so and there was probably 800 to a thousand people in those four airplanes plus the pl- people on the in, on the inbound airplane and the theory is this two eight left was closed yes indeed and so no lit up not lit up so you just had all departures and uh arrivals were happening on two eight right just two eight at that point and the pilots of the Air Canada flight had a combined flying experience of 30,000 hours, which is not a small amount, uh, even even for a commercial pilot. That's a staggering amount, actually. And my my theory is, and I think it's it's not yeah. completely unreasonable, is that they shot this San Francisco approach hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times before. It was programmed yeah, to see two, two, runaways, two sets yeah. of parallel lights, yeah, right? Yeah. Two, two bright sets of lights. In this instance... There were two sets of parallel lights, except only one was a runway. The other was a taxiway. Let's let's
0: still note for those who are not as much airplane geeks that know the lights on a taxiway are not the same. That no, on not the, even the runway, yeah. they're even different colors. They're
1: different, different colors. density as they don't well. Don't have approach lights. Uh, and and I think if you're not familiar with San Francisco Airport, it's very important to point out that there's two eight left and two eight right, and they're they're uh, alarmingly, if you've never shot the approach before, close to to each other. They're yeah. obviously very you know more than it's a safe parallel. distance apart. Yep. Of course, but, but they are completely parallel. And so it's not out of the kind of realms of imagination to to see how they confused an active runway and an active taxiway. Uh, they were flying visual approaches, so they were not yep. using instruments. And that yeah, wasn't- there was no guidance. Yes. Yep. There was no guidance, even, even though obviously they're both runways are ILS rated. Because it was a clear night, they were using visual approach. Mm-hmm. Um, right, yeah. So this is the subject of a continuing NTSB investigation. And that's where this five foot number came out. The initial investigation concluded that there was only five feet of vertical separation when you include the tailplane. So I, I think, thanks to the uh, pilots on the ground chiming in, thanks to the air traffic controller. For otherwise, we would be in mourning at the moment because a lot of people yeah. would have lost their lives. So yeah,
0: so the, the 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 first plane. So there were four. The first plane was a United uh, Seven uh, United dash, yeah. dash Nine. I think by the time Air Canada was above them, it has it had already turned in. You know the little uh, uh, pathway that leads uh, where to wait to actually uh, be lined for takeoff. It still means that the tail uh, in the tail of, uh, of a Dreamliner is about 55, 56 feet tall. It still means that it could have it, but the, the second plate that was behind it, which was apparently the closest one that Air Canada was to, was a Philippine Airlines Airbus uh, 340, which is mentioned before the 300 and that is where it could and also the tail of a uh, a 340 is 55 56 feet as well and this is where it was super super close apparently again the, the investigation it will take at least a year before we have all the parameters but apparently by the time you hear the go around order of tower the Air Canada pilot must have seen it because he's already pushing the thrust. It's it's already so he's, going around, yeah. Seeing that there's two other planes in front of him, there are two United. Uh, the first one, I think, is again a Dreamliner, and the one behind is a seven three seven nine hundred. So, and yes, exactly, he could if he had gone down. So he would even if he didn't hit this uh, Philippine Airlines or and or the first United uh, aircraft you would have crashed right into the two other ones uh, with of course still a, a speed of landing and that would have been at least we're talking what you uh, know in a, in, a, in a dreamliners is like 280 passengers maybe and then a 737 maybe 180 or 190 and then that would have taken the toll to 600 people <laughs> seven. this yeah. is just insane
1: honestly this is it is great. insane it's it's it sounds like um, you know, from, from my amateur perspective, it just sounds like a combination of otherwise innocuous circumstances right. combining to create a near disaster. Interestingly, that was we didn't hear about that right after
0: it happened. It took a little bit of time for people to hear about that news it, to the point that uh, the flight recorder, it's not available for Air Canada. It had been already raised. You know, flight recorders have to, you know, you keep going, the voice keep... Uh, yeah, they erased. have a buffer of a few hours. Exactly. So, uh, the recorder had taped itself already by the time the investigators asked for it. So, there's no data there. Uh, but it's... Uh, well, I mean, we're obviously very thankful nothing happened. The other, the other uh, insight here, and it was that there was a single uh, ATC uh, in the towers, one single person handling all traffic. Was that also did, did play a role? We don't know. We'll learn. Uh, one person. I mean, when you hear, I, actually, by the way, I love the demeanor of. We don't know which pilot said that. Like, uh, where is this guy going? He's just like with so much demeanor of like normalcy, you know, not like yeah. panic or anything. <laughs>
1: Lights on the uh, there. Uh, yeah. runway there. Can you put the pit left? Air Canada 759 confirmed clear to land runway 2A, right? There's no one on 2A, right? Like you. Okay, yeah, uh, counted 759. Where's this guy going? He's on the taxiway. Air Canada go around. In the go around, I counted 759. Air Canada 759 looks like you were lined up for Charlie there. Uh, United 1, Air Canada, flew directly over us. Yeah, I saw that
0: guy. There's no panic in anyone's voice. Doesn't seem that the ATC was in f- at fault, but again, he was alone or she was. I don't know if it was a here or a he. I, I don't know. I don't know. Man.
1: It's yeah, a, I, I, I'm i no expert in psycholinguistics, but uh, you're yet, right. I mean, the uh, the pilots on the ground were, were very sort of, what the heck is this guy doing? And a sort of, look at this, look at this joker. Yeah. <laughs> but then post, when they went around, you could hear the... The tone yeah, of yeah, yeah. the Air Canada pilot's voices was very kind of tail between legs. I think we've just Correct. done something very, very wrong here. Well, we're yeah. thankful it didn't happen again.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> like you said you, yourself. I think the you know, we call that concept the normalization of deviance. You're so used to do something that at some point you, your eyes and brain don't, don't, don't even compute if the settings are slightly different you think it's still the same so that might happen might be fatigue as well it just happens we're still human beings well we're uh, at some point the NTSB will come up with that but I mean (laughs) wow you know because uh, as for a reference because everybody says it would have been the biggest uh, ever catastrophe airline catastrophe the biggest one of course is the Tenerife catastrophe 1977 where well, there was uh, a bomb alert and Gran Canaria uh, airport, so no plane could land there. So it all stacked up in a very tiny, non-ILS guidance, nothing, Tenerife airport, and it was foggy. Uh, we're talking also like a long time ago with less, I'm not saying less regulation, but a lot of changes have happened since then. And uh, a yeah, 740, my- uh, 747 uh, from KLM shouldn't have taken off, took off, whilst another 747 from Pan Am was taxiing and uh, clipped uh, the KLM clipped the other one? There was, I think, uh, f- almost six hundred people died in this uh, incident, and obviously here we would have wrecked the same kind of numbers. I mean, crazy. Anyway, uh, we'll learn about this one day.
1: As a passenger, you don't feel anything. Just a pull-up, that's it. Yeah, I don't think you would notice that much um, as a passenger there, Canada plane uh, or on the ground in the others. I think I'm sure that everybody got to the the Philippines and Singapore and all those and never would have been none the wiser. None the wiser, exactly. Uh, Another, uh, I'm just going to skip quickly to Europe
0: because that's uh, Eric Hoffman, husband in tow, who sent us that news. Uh, Whereas there's a French pilot uh, for easyjet that was caught having used ecstasy while flying or at least having is, still the effect of the ecstasy i don't know how that
1: worked but it's unbelievable and he was <laughs> only i think he was given like a 15-month suspended jail sentence as well that's crazy it's, it's, it's it is it's like sure. i don't know what to say honestly wow, well, exactly. wow. yeah that's that's yeah I'm, i was speechless when i read that it's like how how is this even possible? <laughs> yeah, well, at least the Air Canada pilot was clearly not on that. Uh, talk, talking about another
0: near miss, uh, in episode 50, we talked about uh, Naritza and how the complexities of the airport. And one of the things I told you is that the one of the runways is not as long as the other. There, there has been an incident very recently, actually, when I think it's a 747 uh, freighter did not do the proper uh, takeoff as he should have, uh, took off way too late on the runway. And actually, it, it hit the fence at the end of the, the runway. Nothing bad happened. The plane didn't crash or anything, but still, it hit that fence, which obviously belongs to one of the farmers, <laughs> which yeah. is against Narita. So I'm sure that would to a lot of conundrums coming up. I mean, you yeah, have to see that. Uh, these near misses happen. I think there was even like an Emirates flight going to Seychelles lately that... Uh, misunderstood the order from tower and which height he should have been and uh, it was like on a collision course with a versus shell or something i mean these things really happen they do but Mm -hmm. thank god no plane has crashed lately for that yeah going to more happy news in the us that's very funny and very enthralling thing that boeing did drawing a dreamliner in the sky that
1: was super cool oh that was so cool It was, and it was a really good drawing too. Yeah, it was like very, like you know, it 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 was very accurate, and it was like the size of the United States. It was not a small thing, and they, uh, it wasn't just a jolly. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't just, hey, let's go do something fun. They were testing uh, these new Rolls Royce engines uh, integration for the seven eight seven ten. So it wasn't like they were like, you know, burning fuel for the sake of burning fuel. They had to do this. I think it was what, 17 and a half hour. Super long. Yeah. Yeah. Flight just to, to, they had to do it anyway. So they thought, oh, let's have some fun with it. And it worked (laughs) because it was such a huge thing, like within the aviation and AV geek community to watch this thing in real time. I don't, I hope no one watched it in real time. That I, I almost
0: did because me, I right? caught it when it was half done. Uh, and I was like, wow, what is this? And I then left the screen open to see the, I mean, I, I think I didn't see the entire <laughs> thing because it got, night was coming up or something. But I mean, they, they've done it already. I think, uh, in 2012, they had written in the sky 787 by their logo, but it was not as well done. This one is the, the plane is superbly symmetrical and yeah. you can recognize the Dreamliner there,
1: right? It's, yeah, I was, was going to say it's it's very obvious what type of airplane it is it's it's very clever it is a, a little tidbit that is interesting it is if you look at it the tail
0: is actually pointed t- towards uh south carolina where the 787 is being I did not assembled that is that. and built and the nose is pointing towards washington when where you know the the, the hq so it's really well, no, there's a that's it's that's i had no idea
1: that I, uh, that's that's cool.
0: I'm, I'm just wondering how much uh, time you would have to go to just a flight path planning and then submitting that where well, we want to draw a plane in the
1: sky. Yeah. I wonder what altitude they were because I noticed they didn't have to deviate. There was no, there was I mean, obviously there was no weather issues, but to be out of the way of other, I mean, when you look at the density of traffic in the US, I'm sure it was fine, but I didn't even look at what altitude they did it. Other good news, uh, we got more five stars uh, for our show. I want to acknowledge the
0: people who take the time and thank you for doing so. Guys, if you want to do it, you can. Um, The first one comes from uh, B underscore UK. The title is great for even the armchair traveler. (laughs) A really relaxed yet incredibly enthusiastic pairing of Alex and Paul make this show great listening. Thank you, guys. And we've been a bit... uh, slower this summer to record I'm sorry for that I'm an armchair traveler mostly but the stories of traveling and most importantly how you get there are great entertainment see Alex people like our where we talk about how we flown, right? And we yeah, always like can, hesitating yeah, if it's I'm not glad. bragging or not. Uh, another uh, from Hi, my name is Dave. Uh, hi, Dave, because we know you're a faithful listener uh, and the table yeah. says it all. 55 episodes and still here. That was written in June. This is about the 55 because of 58 today. The Layovers podcast continues to improve with each episode. Wow, that's really kind, man. Alex and that Paul cover general elevation news sprinkled with engrossing stories of their own recent air travel experiences if anything like me you'll be often envious you <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so thank you and uh and that's where it actually hurts me I'm not sorry David you were not trying to hurting me but he says at the very end of uh, his lengthy review because longer than that uh, <laughs> pro
1: tip <laughs> Google layovers to find a show notes yeah well I know <laughs> 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 it's a lot of work, man. I mean, yeah. you do all the editing for the show anyway, and then to try and compile all those notes is that's, that's that's a big that's another job. But I'll, I'll
0: have them, guys. I promise you already on the show, and I'll have them. Uh, there was also Peter Johnson uh, who quipped that uh, we talked in the previous. I think was it was the previous episode when one of our listeners were listening to the KIX episode at KIX. And he sent us a picture of uh, somewhere in England, uh, I guess, uh, when he was listening to episode 57, and a picture of his dogs. Uh, so, Peter, the question is, do your dogs listen to layovers as well? <laughs> 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 and finally, I want to also give a shout out to at Decryption on Twitter. Uh, he mentioned this because he said, wow, finally, a podcast with chapters. So I'm very happy that uh, the extra work oh, yeah. in chapters is being recognized. And uh, I need to thank Peter Evans at Evans uh, PW, if I'm not mistaken, because he's the one who told decryption to listen to us so guys thank you uh, so much another shout out i need to do i forgot in the last episode sorry bernard i was again a uh, guest for analyze asia uh it's a weekly podcast about everything tech and innovation in asia we talked about cafe in singapore it's a 40 minutes episode i'll put the link in the show notes it, but uh, i highly encourage you to subscribe to analyze asia as an s not the way the americans write it with a z analyze asia it's on every so thank you, Bernard, for inviting me. And uh, now we, we decided that I'm going to go there every six months to talk about what we talk every week or so here uh, with Alex. Uh, so let's go back to another near miss. I don't know if you heard about this one, Alex, because uh, I know that you've been very busy having a lot of barbecues whilst in uh, <laughs> in California. <laughs> Another near miss. It's not. Remember, guys. I was telling you that uh, when I left Incheon, Seoul, the, the planes are avoiding uh, North Korea, but not not all planes are avoiding North oh, Korea. Yeah. Uh, there's this uh, Air France flight uh, AF two nine three uh, that. You know, the big story is, if you're listening to any uh, news channel now right now, is this standoff almost between the U.S. and uh, Kim Jong-un in North Korea. Uh, North Korea is running a lot of uh, missile tests. And they're promising, like, nuclear warheads. I mean, we're not going to go there, but obviously it's very tense. Well, they've just recently done a missile test. And according to data, and there's a video I'll put one day in the show notes, that this missile on the way down
1: literally was a few minutes off that Air France flight. Wow. That's terrifying. I know, you know, you didn't, what happened to the Malaysian flight over uh, the Ukraine or Crimea, I suppose it was. uh, You would never want to have that, a repeat of that. And that was alarmingly close. Yeah. Alarmingly close. Yeah.
0: Well, maybe you can forget about this if you are in the Air France flight and you're using uh, this new VR-IFE. Actually, Air France just introduced, if you're flying from de to Saint-Martin, uh, you will have... Uh, it's a test, it's a trial, obviously. You will have a vr ife to like be completely engrossed in your environment and we know that quantus i think had to try that uh i'm still not convinced about being completely I, I like
1: being in the flight and not like it's but maybe i don't know but would you do it yeah uh, yeah I th- we've talked about i think quantus did this yeah exactly Maybe yeah. 18 months ago and i think that we we were both enthusiastic about the idea but then thought it sounds like a great way to be motion sick <laughs> you, i am you know, much, i am motion sick with vr even if i'm not on the flight already right <laughs> so yeah there you go um i i i'm interested to see if anybody adopts this mainstream i'll be fascinated to hear what air France, even if it's not a trial is more of a pr gimmick but yeah. if it's uh, if any airline rolls this out when the price of headsets comes down to the point where it makes economic sense to do it as well and right now
0: it's only for business class, and that's another 340. So, there, see, not everybody's ditching 340s. Still, in France, we talked about Boost. Uh, it's not called Boost in the end, it's called June. <laughs> J O O N. It's a new airline. Another way, you know, they have Hop, they have Transavia, they have, you know, they have June. So, June is a millennial airline. I don't know what the heck that means. <laughs> I don't know what that means either. <laughs> It's it's a, it's, a, basically it's a low cost. It's a low cost with a fancy name. The entire marketing campaign is based on Instagram or something.
1: Yeah, I I, they, I know they got lambasted for the name when it first came out pretty much universally. But yeah, they've and I think by calling it a millennial an airline for millennials or a millennial airline, they just uh, poured more more salt on that wound. <laughs> <laughs> they, ha, they I mean you're right. I mean they they've been trying for ages to come up with this uh, ancillary brand. They've they tried with Hop. They've tried with uh, a few others in the KLM Air France group. But I'm still not clear what that actually means, like a millennial airline. I know that they have um, God, it's kind bargaining. of fresh-looking uh, <laughs> um, uh, flight attendant uniforms. But <laughs> I think the cynic in me says that this is another way to try and renegotiate the union contracts. Well,
0: that, that, that is the case to a certain extent because I think this airline uh, will use Air France pilots so they earn their union contracts but will not use, the staff will be probably zero hour contracts. So that's already, but the whole market, I mean, you know, Level didn't need to say what's was a millionaire line. It's just uh, low cost. It's cheap. And I'm not saying cheap, I'm not saying it's cheap in the bad way. It's simply cheap to fly. And I think this June is basically trying to say model, only they put this sort of, uh, coat of paint on top of it saying, you know, the reason we're cheap as in not expensive is because we cater to a new lifestyle or something. But it's the same idea.
1: Yeah, it is. It's definitely the same idea. And well, good luck to them on this particular venture. I I know that the big airline groups have been trying to figure out the ancillary brand slash low cost carrier thing for ages. British Airways have been more and more vocal about their split brand. We talked about it if not in the previous episode and the one before that, and no one's really cracked it up and- yeah, to. But I, I mean, think it's impossible, but I look forward to being proven wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean why not try? I mean, I mean, why not try? Uh, so again, we have a slightly longer show. I'm gonna go for one Walnut travels. So I'm not sure I'm gonna do both of the ways our show would be five hours because I've done a lot of stuff. <laughs> I flew to Bangkok uh, via Singapore uh, as in I needed to be in Singapore for one reason I need to to grab my new MacBook. <laughs>
1: The saga of this MacBook is wonderful.
0: Yeah, I was, you know, I had two options. I could actually either get it in Hong Kong, which actually Hong Kong, so Hong Kong have one of the most cheapest prices for Apple products, the US being always the cheapest. Singapore is also quite cheap. There's a few other places. And since I was going both, uh, so on my way to Manila, I was stopping in Hong Kong and on my way to Bangkok, I was stopping in Singapore. I ended up doing it in Singapore. Why? Because in Singapore, they do uh, in-store pickups. So you can just go show up to the store and, and pick it up. Whereas in Hong Kong, they don't. So my plan yeah, was, and I, got, I, I actually got offers from friends of their thanks to Hack Horizon and Noob. Now people are at Hong Kong Airport. I eh? have friends said, don't worry, order it, send it to me, and I'll deliver it to you at your gate. So yeah. thank you, guys. I'm not going to say who it is because I'm not sure it's authorized. So thank you very much, guys. Uh, so yeah, uh, I went, uh, what did I do? I used the uh, Singapore Airlines. I mentioned that uh, a few episodes ago. I travel up the guys who actually found me this great fare Uh, the one interesting bit because I, I think we already talked a lot about Singapore, it's that I've so I had the first bit, uh, London, so Heathrow to Singapore was under 380. Uh, very nice. Uh, I always take the bulkhead seat because the bulkhead seat have a larger zone to put your feet, you know, otherwise you're always sideways, you know, you have to put your feet on the left or the right side. On on that yeah. one, it's not the case. The bulkhead, you can see, I'm tall. I can actually move any way I want. And I like the bulkhead seats. Uh, Ben Schlappig from One Mile at a Time, his favorite seat is actually the very, very last uh, seat on the, the upper deck because it's not only like a bulkhead, but it's like a solo. There's one seat nothing and then another row of seats so it's, it's, ah. it's but that one wasn't available i wanted to try it to try it but that was wasn't available anyway very good flight uh we've already talked about it the, the thing that is interesting is then i've done the day after i was in uh singapore i've done uh, singapore to bangkok with a triple seven 200 uh and it was it was a very old product so 222 and I, oh, yeah, I seemed like, to be the picture of this. Yeah. It very, I mean, you know, again, it's not, it's not a very long haul flight. You just mentioned that for mint. It doesn't need to be like a live flight for these kind of seats, but it was fun to see. And it was so old that <laughs> and that's just the, the, the picture I sent you that the, the power sockets were still these awkward old, almost
1: I don't know how to describe, I don't know the deck yeah, well, I can't remember it. what the what the brand name is, but yes, they're they're this completely uh proprietary socket that you need to buy an expensive adapter for and they never work anyway <laughs> by the way i have an adapter at home if i had known I, no. mean, I, mean, <laughs> I mean
0: i have a battery pack but i mean i was like guys i would i've never actually used it yeah i used to travel with it which now i've given up because everybody has usb or at least I have a battery pack but that still exists and the other funny bit is that they had a projection screen in the middle you know like these very old flash wow screen. that is old school <laughs> I couldn't even see the, the safety video because the contrast was so bad that I couldn't actually not see it. But man, anyway, <laughs> I know it by heart. <laughs> by the way, uh, Singapore, it was not the case, but they just come up with a new uh, safety video which really uh, shows all the, the beautiful aspects of that city. Yeah, right. well, I just watched it. It's gorgeous. It's, it was really gorgeous, yes. I and mean, we will talk about safety videos in the next episode because there's a few ones that have come up uh, and uh, we won't have time on this one. So that was super cool. And again, then I know, I mean, I spent... Few days in Bangkok was with huge conference, super well organized. Alex, you're also a keynote speaker like me. You would have loved it in terms of organization. I've rarely seen uh-huh. that. Uh, I mean, we had a great grand time besides the traffic. I mean, you know what? I've been to many cities in Southeast Asia. And for a long time, I thought Manila was worse. And, and, and Bangkok used to be bad, but it's becoming even worse. We took, like, I think two and a half hours to do four kilometers at some point. Oh, uh, Yeah, so, uh, which I'll talk about it at the end of the show for the airport, because that matters. It, it's but a fantastic city, a lot of fun, a lot of great food, obviously. Of um, course, yeah. I, I hope one day you'll touch upon some Thai food on your mastication nation. Uh, yes, I'm still definitely. waiting for the next episode, by the way. Where is it? <laughs> so am I. <laughs> uh, so, and then on the way back, another 777-200, and this time... Funnily enough, so that's that's why it's interesting because I've I've done three triple sevens in three different era of product, and this time was uh, something that is very close to the the one you see on three eighties. So again, this live flat, very big seat, you know, too large almost, right? You're like, why do I have so much space uh, on my left and my right? I wanna say something about that fight because it's probably the best crew i ever had the best staff i ever had in wow. years they were either they came to salute every single passenger uh by name they were very 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 good and very cheer- cheerful as well you know like light and entertaining and I, i've rarely seen that i mean even it's on just the way so nice This was the biggest difference I remember on the way into Bangkok on that, because it was apparently a change of plane. So we had an older 777. The guy behind me was, I don't know if he was a frequent flyer or not, was complaining. He was like, I'm not happy. I don't have the seat. Will you change the flight? I don't like that seat. I was like, my God, in my head, I was like, what oh, God, you? shut up, right? Or something. <laughs> and I, the poor head of you know the, the the crew was was there and it he was so well trained and handling that everything he said was perfect not being you know rude not taking it anything personal it was i was like impressed and how well they were trained which is you know it's sometimes com- contrasts with the stories we are from the u.s and people would go in shouting matches and stuff he was yeah he it changed the situation from something tense to something that worked, and the person even started, stopped complaining. I mean, he was an old fart anyway, sorry. If you if you're listen to our show, I didn't tell it to your face because I'm polite, but you were an old fart complaining for nothing. <laughs> uh, and, and, and then Singapore, and uh, which, yeah, I need to say something, Alex. Singapore is considered one of the world's greatest airports, and I'm sure you agree, right? Mm, absolutely. There's one thing they need to change, and I, I forgot to tell it. Everything I think I know what Singapore, you're going to say. The carpet. No, that's not what I thought you were going to say. You know why? The because carpet. Not the color. I mean, that's you know, that's taste. People might like it or not. I, I'm, I mean, I'm neutral about it. It's super thick and sticky, which means when you have a carry-on, it just doesn't go fast. You have to literally pull your carry-on a lot, which in other airports where they have either marble or some kind of you know plasticky thing it just goes it's not the entire airport but at the gates maybe they've done it so that people when they get into the plane and since it's slightly bent so that their luggage are not going too fast, you know. But when you go out of the plane, you're like, why is it going so sticky? When I have to pull, it seems that my, my carry-on is five times the weight of so guys at Singapore, everybody would listen, just change the carpet, please. Anyways, so <laughs> took the uh, took the um triple uh, seven back to London. That's and that's a refurbished triple seven three hundred, so This is a very new, latest uh, business class, and that's really nice. So it's still very large seats, though it seems to me that they're not as large as these three eighties that the previous uh, uh, version of the product. But man, it was a really wide seat. Yeah, it's still very wide, but it feels—I don't know if it's if it's actually not as wide or if it's simply by design the design of the seat that makes it feel. But it's still so it's still the same system. You still, if you want to go to a bed mode, you still have to go up. And basically, you take the, the, the backrest and the, you, you put the backrest on top of the,
1: how do you call that? You, yeah, like, I can't even imagine the, the word, but yeah, it basically, it's a reverse recline.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, thank you. You reverse recline the seat hold and that it makes it the bed. So that hasn't changed. The feeling of sleeping, I didn't have a bulkhead because it was none available, but so I had to, to sleep sideways. But honestly, Super, super, super nice. Uh, uh, it's a, it's it's a success. I mean, I'm still I still prefer the Herringbone products of a CX of a Cathay Pacific, but it's a fantastic product. Uh, really nice to sleep. Again, I'm tall, if I mean it's always kind of the litmus test. Can I actually sleep normally on this? And yes, I could slightly bent probably not fully 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 uh, but you know you tend to sleep on the side anyway when you have to sleep sideways yeah. by definition you, exactly the one thing I don't understand I uh, so they have a lock-in like you said for mint they have like now 25 different plugs everywhere one thing that's very nifty that also exists on the 380 you can plug uh, headphones both on uh, the near the armrest or near your head on the other side actually so I mean this a good yeah, depending idea. where you are, the cable doesn't run all the way. It's, it's, it's Things like that. Are cl- <laughs> they have a few USB for power and also have a USB to actually uh, align, so to actually have your content displayed on the screen in front of you. I've never uh, been able to get that work. I never tried, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, but, I mean, really, honestly, super solid, good storage. Uh, the storage in the previous version wasn't great. It was very small the stuff on the side of the screen. It was not really practical. The new one is actually much, I think, much better. Less flimsier as well. So again, really good product. the one thing I don't understand. The screen is not touch sensitive. So you still have to That's use. That's weird. Yeah. It seems like nowadays, not that I, I'm not complaining, but it seems that nowadays every single airline, when they install a new kind of IFE, have very super reactive touch screens. This one, you cannot touch. Yeah. You still have to use your remote
1: control. I don't That's know, weird. What do you think? I'm sure there's a reason for it, but uh, yeah, you're right. It does seem slightly uh, because it's not like uh, airline IFE remote controls have the best uh, interface. They're almost universally confusing. It's not. This one is not too bad. It's
0: a. I still think that Turkish is one of the best. This one is not too bad. I mean, it's uh It's very slick. Very looks very nice, and the interaction is not perfect, but it's closer to what it used to be. Honestly, it's 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 a, it's it's a good one. Lots of content as well. I've seen the stupidest movie on my ever. ever it's called the Fate of the Furious, and uh, <laughs> and what I don't understand, Alex, and tell me, you know, maybe in the U.S. it's even stronger than that. Uh, have you seen the movie called the Belko Experiment? These guys no. locked in a tower. I mean, there's blood everywhere. It's like super violent, right? That goes. Anyone says a swear word, they bleep it. I'm like, in what world is blood and heads being chopped okay, but a uh, motherfucker is not. I
1: just don't understand. that. <laughs> it's a good question it's a good question i have no idea
0: i have no idea i have no idea
1: anyway fantastic
0: experience i'll talk about singapore and singapore airline more in the next episode and i'll also talk about the other trip i've done to manila in the next episode because again we, we want to we want to give you a little bit of extra you know meat because we're not recording as much But if I were to do my second flight, I've done, well, my third or fourth for the month of July. But anyway, it would be way uh, too much. It would would reserve it for next uh, next time. One thing, though, just as a London manila, I had a new feature. I don't know if you've seen it yourself. It's not exactly airline related with travel related in Uber. And I really love it. And I want to say thanks, Uber, for having implemented it. There's now an uh, in-app chat system. Uh, yes. That's so nifty. So I got it like three, four weeks ago, and I saw actually the news coming up yesterday or two days ago. So maybe I was you know, in a testing group or something. The thing is I change SIM cards not often, but quite still depending on the countries I am. I'm, I'm optimizing my data roaming, if you wish. And I don't mm-hmm. want to every single time rechange my phone number in the Uber app, and, uh, which no. means that which means that actually I uh, my if I don't have my UK sim card in there and that's the number that is registered on Uber if people were trying to call me and or to text me, I would simply miss it. Or I would have to have my second phone with me, which I sometimes do, but that's not very convenient. The in-app chat is fantastic for that because for once, and I had the experience right in front of me, the the, the driver sent me a, a message. It was like, what is this notification? I've never seen it. And it was actually in, in app chat and it's really cool. So guys, I mean, I, I said on, on Twitter, uh, I think it was when I was in Manila, Uber has truly changed my life. And I, I know there's a lot of criticism about Uber and all these apps, but, it has really changed my life as a traveler. I don't know about you, man, but
1: yeah, absolutely. It's- you know, setting aside the the yeah yeah the other corporate issues in terms in terms of pl- platform and product, it's a game changer for me. Yeah, no matter where you go, you can almost always depend on it.
0: Anyway, so since we talked, uh, I think it was the last episode about the big news that Qatar Airways was a buying sticks in AA, well, apparently Qatar Airways is not buying sticks in American Airlines anymore. They said, no, well, we'll change our mind, which is probably very welcome from American Airlines CEO. He must be very happy about that.
1: Yeah, I think it was. I mean, we talked about this at the beginning, that it was such a power play move by, by Qatar to do to do this and not tell them and then, then find out and say, oh, we're not really American weren't exactly thrilled and then for them to say, yeah, you know, we've looked at it a little bit further, and nah, we don't really <laughs> want to do it. Here. It's such a power move. And uh, I guess the la- the latest bit is that they're looking at JetBlue now. Yeah, that's a rumor. Yeah, that's a big rumor. Uh, well, that would make sense. It would make sense. It absolutely, would make sense. I, I mean, so would American Airlines, I suppose, because they yeah, are an alliance partner at least for the time being. No, they're um, not. American Airlines uh, uh, just
0: said, and I think it was uh, two weeks ago, said that they will end all their courtiers where
1: qatar in had. oh for god's sake i missed yep. that that's so childish
0: yeah and that was just before <laughs> the announcement of qatar was not investing in aas so i don't know if there's any link whatsoever but at least that was a, re- a rebuttal from that intent of buying AA. maybe but you know they or maybe the other two big american Jeez. airlines are gonna tell AA guy's you're
1: gonna i don't know wow yeah well i did i missed that piece of news that's uh they're just as bad as each other I, they really <laughs> are we really are. It's just, ugh. yeah. I thought it was a a, a very um, ballsy move on Qatar's part to to make this this investment without even talking to the uh, the leadership team in American. But it was very typical of Al Baker to do something like that, and then to to say, "Nah, no, we're good. We changed our minds."
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. It's we we love, and we said many times, we love al baker for his bold moves and he's outspoken but sometimes he goes too far uh have you seen what he said about you know all the uh, i don't i don't have the quote in front of me but it is something about and he had to recuse himself and apologize publicly that all of your flight attendants in the U.S. looked like grandmothers. Yeah, that's, yeah, that was
1: it. Was unnecessary. I mean, yeah, even it's a thought you have in private, it's just unnecessary. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that he apologized because that's the least he should have done. Yeah, and I think uh,
0: American Airlines pilots, and that was also in the same kind of week ish of the announcement that American Airlines would stop uh, code sharing. Uh, they actually published an ad uh, in an island other places about how al baker was not reasonable and was saying things that shouldn't happen so there was of course it was it's not just american Airlines staff deciding to do it, so clearly there's a lobbying behind i've been doing that job i know how he works but still it was there was a lot of pressure he had to re- recant which is uh, not bad uh mm-hmm. the two last things about qatar uh, i've not first of all i've not I could have flown them many times in my past to go to Asia, because, I'm again, I'm going even next week. But I'm, I'm still not confident, to be honest. One thing they had to do, uh, it's not completely linked with, with this, is that they just offered the visa-free entrance for more than 80 nationalities. So you don't have to have visa anymore. I think the u k passport yeah, or u s passport is thirty days and some other passport like the Swiss I've got is ninety days multiple entry you get in that's you know they have to I guess because they're been now having all these issues it's good that is goodness that makes uh, the whole place a lot more accessible and to finish uh of course of course we want to talk about it, and of course a lot of people are gonna pile on this for uh because it's so hard to actually read into this these creative accountings that <laughs> So, you know, if you've been a listener to Layover since the beginning, I think probably our uh, 25th first episodes were about that, were about the fact that... they're getting subsidies and who getting subsidies and what kind of subsidies and la 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 and it's the same story between airbus and boeing you know Airbus uh, getting subsidies and boeing getting like uh contracts from from etc 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 this time there's two articles obviously they're the hoof posted the Huffington post is uh, maybe not my primary incredible source of information and i'm not saying i'm denying the facts that are in there because we already said that we we do believe that there are some subsidies in the middle east yes but uh <laughs> The uh, a few numbers of uh, Qatar first is we were in Qatar. Um, Qatar announced it's making profit, but accountants in the US have remade the calculations according to standardized accounting practices and say, okay, the. A full year 2017 so the fiscal year sorry 2017 lost doubled uh from uh it went from minus 358 uh, million dollars to more than 700 million dollars of loss uh which is seven percent of total revenue uh and they say one of the ways they could announce they don't have a loss is for instance that they sold assets plant and equipment to uh unidentified parties which a lot of people suspect obviously are the state of qatar <laughs> To basically mm-hmm. uh for like almost
1: 600 million so they were able to change that do you have any thoughts about this yeah no i you're right i think we've we've established from the beginning that they get they get subsidies it would be very easy to go and say oh, well american airlines got subsidies as well post 9 but that that's not really what this is about that's if we take this in isolation i think i think the truth is somewhere in the middle they don't release all of the necessary data for these people to have a concrete analysis of the financial position of, of these airlines. But as you say, by using standard accounting practices with the information they have available to them, they can draw some, some conclusions. And even if they're 50% off, the numbers are still pretty, yeah uh, pretty huge yeah uh, as well. And that, and it does, as you said, it presents quite a few unanswered questions with who is this, this unidentified entity and what is the the financial contribution of the states? Uh, so I, you know, it's it's it was a very interesting read. I don't uh, take the Huffington Post that seriously, but the person that they yeah, seems to be credible that the, that wrote the report is absolutely credible. They're yeah, a professor yeah, of economics yeah. at Georgetown. Yeah. So that anybody else has, I don't know if anybody else uh, has picked this up any of the other media outlets and have done their own scrutiny. That will be we'll have to see. But some of those losses are staggering. I think you yeah, you, you suggested that this is perhaps one of the reasons why the Etihad CEO had been relieved yeah, of his so, uh, duty. Let
0: me go there. Let me go to this to the Etihad because the same the same professor wrote an article about had in the numbers. I mean, Qatar are impressive but numbers. of Etihad is really like staggeringly impressive. Yeah. So, if uh, he did the same type of an analysis, looking at the accounting, looking at what the re- actual results would be, and he says that in 2014 fiscal year uh the operating loss of etihad would be 1.4 billion dollars <laughs> and it received 2.6 billion subsidies again i'm here i'm saying using his numbers in 2015 Ah, uh, the operating loss went to two point six, no, two point oh six, or two point oh six billion dollars. That's a lot of money, and that's even whilst the the, the airline was getting, again, according to the author, one point seven billion in subsidies, and, uh, and then we go to twenty sixteen, and it's one point eighty seven billion, uh, half of which actually is a write-off from all the investments in Air Berlin and Alitalia, which is probably why, uh, like you mm-hmm. were hinting at, the CEO had to leave. I think he's still there as a chairman or something, but he's not the, the CEO New anymore. Wow. It's, 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 I mean, we always had this stance that for us, out of the three big Middle Eastern carriers, Emirates is probably the I mean, of course, it's been there for a longest time. It's actually profitable. Actually, they probably, maybe are as well. Some state aid, like you hinted at as well, like the different kind of state aid. You know that somewhere else in the U.S. are being mm-hmm. subsidized to the to the to the rate of eight hundred dollars per passenger. So they are some but uh, are the most solid one. And Etihad and Qatar being newer. Are not as solid, but these numbers uh, are,
1: are are pretty staggering. They really are. They they. I'm looking forward to further analysis on these numbers, uh, and I don't know if we'll ever get the the full picture because they don't release all of the information. But I think it's just furthered this this conversation, and it's a fascinating conversation as well about what where's the line is there a line for government intervention in state owned airlines, so. I'm sure that uh, I hope that other organizations and media outlets take a look at these numbers and draw their own conclusions. And other people look at the uh, the financial strengths of the of these airlines and airlines in general. And, you know, I think this is certainly not the last we've heard about this. No, clearly not.
0: And uh, for reference, guys, remember that uh, U.S. airlines were announcing loss after loss after loss into similar amounts as well talking the billions of dollars in the mid to 2000s, for instance, some even before 9-11, so that they're not everything is pinned down to that uh, catastrophic event. So it's complicated. As we know, Taking uh, yes. an airline is not when you get the richest, right? <laughs> so, <Yeah>. Complicated <laughs> business, right? <laughs> uh, talking about complicated business, Bangkok Airport was a bit of a complicated business. Have you ever flown or been to Bangkok? Long, long time ago.
1: Not in the last 20 years.
0: Oh, so you are at the old airport. That's yeah, interesting because uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce it, guys. I've had issues. I mean, I've, I always said to people in Thailand, try to pronounce my last name, and actually they succeeded. I had a hard time pronouncing theirs, uh, so I'm going to try to pronounce the name of this airport. And Maybe Alex, you know better than me. Is Suvarn- Suvarnabhumi Suvarna Bumi Airport? Maybe I'm completely saying wrong. If we have any Thai listeners or Thai speakers, please correct us. I really don't know how to say that the name. So let's call it Bangkok International <laughs> Airport. I'm really yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> So it's only, it's like slightly more than 10 years, it's not that old of an airport. There was another airport, which there's still another airport, Don Muyang International Airport, it's also an international airport, that was replaced. It was at capacity basically, right, they said, okay, we need a bigger airport because Thailand is an only tourist destination, it's becoming a very heavy business destination and I've seen that when I was there, that was really impressive. They tried. To acquire rights for the lands, not as crazy a story as Narita, I think back in the 70s, but they couldn't. There was a lot of instability, but they ended up being able to acquire all of this just before the Asian financial crisis, so before the end of the 90s, which then delayed again uh, the investment for that airport. So to make the story short, open around 2006. And then expanded, expanded, expanded to the point that 10 years in, it's already above capacity, <laughs> not only for the number of people in the terminals, but also the number of uh, landing and departing. I think it was planned to be 600 a day or something. It's already at 800, 55 million people, which I think it was planned for 45. You can feel it a bit. It's not cramped, but it's busy. Obviously, I was in, uh, in the summer as in where a lot of people probably from Europe or the US would take holidays in Thailand. So I don't know how that airport would be like in November. Although for them, it's always in Southeast Asia, so it's always nice. Which is why I'm going back next uh, week to Southeast Asia to have a bit of sun. But <laughs> it really, it feels it feels busy. It feels busy. Is it a bad airport? No, not at all. It's not because it's busy. It's still it is very new. It, it shows a little bit ten, ten years, but it's still very new. The one thing that is not great is uh, signage. If it's your first time understanding where you're supposed to go after your gate from your gate to immigration. And you know, there's a visa procedures in Thailand. So most people have to actually have a visa. There's some uh, visa free countries. Uh, it's not absolutely clear. I had something called premium lanes, so c- which you can actually either buy or you know, your airline offers it, but it's really not clear where it is. They have a they have a map on the, the little piece of paper they give you and it, I know it sounds pretentious, but I, I don't get lost in airports. It still took me like a good 10 minutes to figure out where it actually was because signage is not perfect. But otherwise, honestly, it's it's a solid airport. I mean, it's an airport you go, again, most people will know it because they go to uh, holiday destinations uh, probably, but it's a very, very solid airport. But again, it's a capacity, so they're thinking of expanding it uh, and thinking of adding like a new terminal, which will go to like, I think, 65 to 75 million passengers it just grows really really fast and because there they has this capacity is they, they did reopen the one you probably saw which is uh <laughs> don musang or muang they reopened it so i think it was again maybe six seven years ago at first it was a very few flights then AirAsia went there and then i think it's not a small airport the other one has no it's big, big. 35 million passengers. So yeah. now it's actually also being refurbished, and uh, probably a new terminal will also be added there. So we're really talking about, you know, there's a lot of demand to go to to the country, and they cannot cope. The the one thing that we certainly hear the news a lot about in this airport is that BKK, which is the main one which we are talking about today, is that they, they've been having a lot of issues with their runways. They, yes, people say maybe they've been built not on spec or using cheap material, but They've been cracks. They had to shut down one runway. They have two uh, parallel, not as close as San Francisco, which you mentioned earlier, but two parallel on each side. If you wanted the airport, they had to close them. You know, repair, open, and again close them, repair, and it keeps going. It seems to be a never-ending stories of having to do and. To the point that Tony Tyler, whom we've interviewed quite some time ago now, uh, it's been almost a year, when he was uh, the, the chief at Ayata, they had to step in. IATA stepped in and said, this is not acceptable because pilots, airlines are complaining that there are issues
1: on the runways. Yeah, it was uh, went on for years as well. And there was, I mean, that part of. Thailand and Thailand in general is is quite a swampy yeah, very humid grounds, yes. and so there was and they had issues with the new airport as well and with the old airport of of structures sinking and bits of the uh the tarmac and uh collapse collapsing on the ramp and 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 things like that so it's been an ongoing issue what the root causes I don't know but yeah they they, they haven't won that battle quite yet I don't think the, the thing is interesting as well is that it's the world's largest
0: passenger terminal that was constructed in really? one phase. It's not the fourth, it's the fourth largest. Uh, uh, I think I the see. largest is uh, Hong Kong. The second largest is Beijing capital, and the third is Dubai. They're, they're the fourth, but built in a single go, that's the one. So they really like built this massive thing in one single go. And now again, they're, they're trying to expand it by creating, a, um, I think, an addition, not, not a, I don't think they call it a terminal. I think they call it like a concourse or like a satellite or something, where they will add a lot of people. Right. Now, as a passenger, so I said, it's uh, a bit busy, uh, especially on the way out. Um, the one thing that, and coming back to what I said about Uber earlier, that changed for me is that, and it's also something, and I'm uh, pleased, my friends in Thailand, forgive me, The I, a lot of people used to say that the problem, and I experienced that when I went to Bangkok last time, which was four or five years ago, before Uber, if you want, the taxi thing was a bit shady sometimes. You had a lot of these unofficial taxis and people heckling, you, do you want a taxi, 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 which I don't have a problem with. but it didn't give you a reassuring feeling i don't care personally i've been to an official taxis and never did die or something so i'm fine but it's true that you (laughs) expect especially for very highly tourist destination like this something more organized is it better organized now in terms it seems to be slightly of course better it's however the drop-off zone and pickup zone is not still great but having uber solves everything i press a button i had a car the car picked me up and it was i, I didn't even have to think about it so that yeah that's honestly that's fantastic there's also other uh, companies doing that there's not only a uh, uh, uber there's a grab as well which is very well known in the region which works as well super well and traffic uh, there's an expressway so they build an expressway to the city because the airport is not that close to the city If you're lucky, the expressway gets you there in about 35 minutes. If you're unlucky, it could take four hours. So it's really traffic in Bangkok can be something really crazy, uh, which goes to the question of, is it good for layovers? I'm not sure it's great to stay there because there's a few nice lounges. I've been to one or two and they're nice. I would tell you go to the city, but then <laughs> if you're stuck for four hours in to go to the city, then you have an issue. So, uh, and a friend of mine actually experienced that. We uh, It was the end of July and the 28th of July is the birthday, the anniversary of the king. They had shut down the entire expressway. It took him from Bangkok airport to our hotel, which was slightly west of the city. It took him five hours and 40 minutes. <laughs> How is that even possible? Yeah. Because there was no expressway, so I had to go like... Everybody was going through the back streets and whatever it was. Honestly, I got lucky. I got in the city. I mean, I had a meeting with a super cool startup that does uh, corporate travel management called 30 Seconds to Fly. I'll talk about it one day. We might even uh, invite one of their founders. So it was not exactly in the city, but it it was super quick. But yeah, five hours. My God. That's That's crazy. crazy. Other than that, when you get back, when you want to uh, check in everything, it's also busy i don't want to say cramped because it's not cramped yet but it's a bit busy again it was high mm. seas for tourism but it's a good airport i don't want anyone to do the little things i've said here to not understand it's a good airport it is a good airport but it's not to the standards yet of singapore hong kong or in Xi'an. uh but i'm sure because we're all the money they're investing in in augmented that it will get there because it becomes like all these asian hubs it becomes really big 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 hubs so it's uh, a yeah. impressive
1: airport so alex uh, you should uh Record an episode of Attaché there. I'd love to. <laughs> and then spend the rest of the time in a car trying to get out of the airport. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, again, a slightly longer
0: episode, and I talked a lot again. Uh, where are you flying next? Are you ever coming oh. back to the UK,
1: or you think you decided to stay? Because honestly, the yeah, weather no, is We, so, we so. did extend our trip a little bit, but we are back uh, next week, and then lots and lots and lots of uh, regional travel between... Well, for the rest of the year, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, you, we, we talked about it off the show. I'm not going to reveal where you're going, but uh, I know a few ones that are really cool. Even more stories to tell. Uh, as for yeah. me, as I hinted at earlier, I'm going uh, to Manila again. At Singapore one day and then Manila for uh, four days. But This time, and that will be also in the next episode, hopefully, I'm flying um, so Swiss from London to Zurich. Then Singapore Airlines to Singapore, and the next day again Singapore Airlines to Manila, and then on the way back I'm flying Cathay to Hong Kong, Very and then nice. Swiss the triple seven three hundred ER with the solo's throne seat. I'm really looking forward to that one. Very back cool. to Zurich, and then a uh, uh, three twenty, I guess probably back to uh, London Heathrow. So a slightly different take the last time. I'll compare the two in the next episode, and obviously. But once I can reveal which one will be the airport for the next show, it will be Manila because <laughs> we'll have a few spots. And sorry, guys, because a lot of people probably are telling us, guys, you're only doing Asia these days. That's my fault. Alex is not responsible for that, so please complain to me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, good luck with the bike on the way back, Alex. And uh, Thank you, sir.
1: I will let you guys know how it which state it's in when it arrives back in the UK. Which also will allow us to talk about BA. We have a
0: lot of stuff to talk about BA in yes. the next episode. And until then, happy travels. Safe travels, guys.